Welcome to Everyday Elephants. I'm your host, Tanner Olson, and in a minute, I'll be joined by Phil, Katie, and Ted. Everyday Elephants is a podcast that discusses what the world is discussing. We take a close look at the elephants in the room, everything from politics to trends to religion. Together, we look for where hope is in the midst of the change in chaos and confusion. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Elephants. Hey, everybody. How y'all doing? What's up? Good. Hey. What's up? It's almost Christmas. How y'all feeling? Ready. I probably shouldn't ask in general, how are y'all doing? Because it's hard when we talk at one time. Katie, good to see you again. Yes, you too, What's Tanner. What's new in Florida? Um, well, it's snowing. It's cold. Just kidding. Um, but <laughs> uh, we're excited for Christmas. I I mean, in Florida, it's same old, same old with weather. But I get on Christmas break after Friday. So I am ready mm-hmm. to go. So yes. that's what we're and doing. For, and for everybody break. listening, you're a, you're a school teacher. So I'm like, a school this teacher. Is, so there's a break. Mm-hmm. You are. You're ready. Do you? So my mom is a school teacher. Do you get really excited for the potential amount of gift cards you might be receiving because of Christmas or does school do that do that anymore? I don't know. Times are changing and we'll talk about times and change soon, but do you still get gift cards? Depends. Depends on the school. Um, I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> but we won't say. I, I, I got a question for <laughs> you gonna... Southerners. You know, I, I know yes. that I live somewhat in the South now, but being from Florida, Ted, you're from Texas. Did Christmas even feel real when you didn't have snow? Like it was such a culture shock for me living in Fort Myers, having my first Christmas where it's 80 degrees. Like, how could it possibly be true that there is such thing as Christmas without coldness? Listen, I think. Go, Katie. Yes, I was going to say it, when Chick fil A comes out with their peppermint chocolate chip milkshake, it's Christmas time. When okay, Starbucks fair. changes their cups, it's Christmas time. Like that's like th- that's what that's how I gauge it, you know. And that's okay when for we me because s- it's all that I know. <laughs> when we start to argue, is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not? That's when it's Christmas. I'm people not always argue that anymore. That's dumb. <laughs> people would always be like, when I when I lived in Wisconsin, they'd be like, "So you've never had a white Christmas?" And I was like, "Well, we had the beach and the sand was white, so kind of." And that's my <laughs> preferred white Christmas is going to the beach. It's not real. But yeah, it's still Christmas. It's still Christmas. You don't need you don't need snow. A Christmas where I don't have to sell, shovel snow is a great Christmas. Like what a gift. I've, what a gift. Yeah. I, I mowed my lawn this week. So <laughs> I, I think uh Macaulay Coken was right when you when he said you can't celebrate Christmas in Florida. That's why he went to New York. So shout out to my son who's watching Home Alone with me well, every single time. What up, Porter? Wait, you but did it wasn't tell... it Porter? Sorry, Ted, but wasn't it a porter no, that said that the real meaning of Christmas, what it really was, was it really about weather? He get, he actually no. has more insight into this. Oh, he's smart. He's That's a smart awesome. kid. He gets it. It's all about Jesus, but you know, with a little <laughs> bit of traps from uh, I'm Home Alone. So he's all about that life too. So just Ted, wondering. You're it's just our, Ted, you're our biblical scholar on the on the podcast. Was there snow at Jesus's birth? No. Absolutely not. How do you know? In also, fact, wasn't December. In fact, but... in fact, if you put Israel and Bethlehem on its latitude, it was nowhere close comparatively to the United States. If you were to go around where it is in the world, it is not close. You are much more in line with what might happen in Germany or the United Kingdom 
than you are mm. with what was happening in Israel. So, Phil, I think you have bought into a lie, my friend. Just saying. Just, <laughs> I don't know, but there, whatever. I know, here's, no, here's what I know is my mom, who grew up in Minnesota, every year looks out one window and sighs that there is no snow as she's lived in Texas now for 30 Aww. some odd years that I know. I, I think it's what you grow up with, right? So yeah. do you have snow in Nashville right now, Phil? Do you have some on the ground? Fun fact, we actually will be getting snow on Friday. So it looks like we might nice. have snow for Christmas. Correction, so let's go. not a fun fact, just a fact. That sounds yeah. like no fun at all for any of us. Although there, there might've been no snow at Jesus's birth, there was a little germer boy. I've been waiting to make that comment since we started talking about this. Ted, what's what's new with you in Texas? <laughs> we are supposed to get a like 50 to 60 degree temperature swing on Thursday, which is going to be just loads of fun. It's going to start in the 60s and drop into the teens to tens area. So let's, uh, hope, the, let's hope the grid... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We or we know where all do. our emergency stuff is. It's thankfully it doesn't look like we're gonna get the kind of precipitation we got before that big um, winter storm in you know a couple years ago. Um, but uh, it's it's gonna be cold. It's gonna be the coldest it's been in a in a while. <laughs> so is that like so you guys? lose power during that time like you can potentially well, lose power and things like that what happened a couple years ago was this storm came through and it dropped a bunch of snow which is a very rare thing down here and then um it froze solid for like two three days and our infrastructure down here is just not built for that so what happened was every texan the same way that in the summer um you know people will walk outside in different spots in the north and go, oh my gosh, it's 80, it is on fire. A Texan walks outside at 50 degrees and goes, better get my heavy jacket. And so what uh, what happened was everyone was trying to run their heaters mm -hmm. and the power grid failed. And when it failed, they said, well, here's the problem. We can't turn it back on. So there was, it got so cold so fast and had enough precipitation that it ended up freezing up a bunch of the power plants. And it literally was just like, well, until these thaw out, have fun. So we lost power that week. Uh, it was Sunday night to Thursday morning. And wow. what was good was that my in-laws are on the same grid here as uh, a fire station. And so we packed up and used our our northern driving training gifted to us by phil klopke you're welcome and world. uh we we made it across and it, it actually was like it, it was not super safe to drive because again we don't have the infrastructure so there was like a quarter inch of ice on everything and so it was chelsea did a great job kind of white knuckling and i was holding the dog down in the back of the car and uh we made it to my in-laws and slept next to the fireplace in their living room and but it was it was not good and so there's there's definitely um, you know, we have our stuff stocked up. I don't think uh, we're going to lose power like we did because the precipitation is not the same. We got rain today, but it's supposed to be sunny the next couple days. Uh, but it's definitely in the back of your head going, you know, instead of a white Christmas, we're going to have a, you know, no electricity Christmas. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, you'll be fine. And Abbott, you trust, right? That was no. a joke. It was a joke, Ted. It was a joke. Not when it comes uh, to the power grid. Funny political well, joke. Well, that'll joke. that'll do it for the weather updates, Phil. Uh, what's going on? What's going on with you, man? Man, I'm excited for Christmas, but uh, I'm also floored right now because this wouldn't be a show without Elon Musk. Elon Musk put on a poll saying, "Hey, should I like step down, being the CEO of Twitter?" And what was it like? The majority of people said yes, so he's no longer going to be the CEO of Twitter. Nothing like spending $44 billion to say, yeah, I'm going to let someone else run it. So Did that's you guys kind of vote? interesting. Did you all vote? Yeah, I accidentally said yes. I was like, dang it. <laughs> oh, no, you let your boy down. <laughs> yeah, that one vote. He's really not going to hire me off. for the CEO position anymore, so it's not going to work out for me. So uh, you, oh, had, well. you had thrown your name in the ring, I know. You, you might just your, your account might just get deleted. Probably. <laughs> probably yeah so. this might be like an inventory of all the people he's gonna delete that's account. that's really what it was <laughs> he's gonna turn it around and be able to see who voted yes yeah, and be like, like well sorry we guys. figured it out mm -hmm. these are my real friends these yeah. are the people that like me i love that when we do these kind of like little check-ins everyone kind of talks about how they're doing but phil is like let me tell you about elon musk i'm fine my buddy elon, boys. Though, here's what he's going through I hope I, I want to start a campaign, a petition that, you know, we can get Phil Klopke, you know, 10 minutes with Elon Musk. Let's do it. Let's start it today. Yep. Let's try to get him on the pod. Yeah, yeah. let's try. That will increase our viewership <laughs> right there instantly. It, it really will. Sponsors it, will be it'll, coming. It'll spike all the way up and then right back down <laughs> to where it's supposed to be. The evenness. I well, love it. Well, we love I'm you, excited. Elon. We're praying for you. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know what to make all of it because to me it all is just kind of like like I'm I feel like I'm watching a, a TV show or a drama where I'm like I don't drama. know if this is real life it kind of feels scripted but it also it's like reality TV where I'm only getting bits and pieces of it. Um, so, anyways, we're not here to talk about Elon Musk at least not for the next few minutes. Ted, what is our topic for today? So over the past couple of weeks, um, something interesting has been happening, and that's that conventions of the United Methodist Church have been coming together, and these are groups of churches in geographical areas, and as they've come together, there's been a lot of churches voting to leave the United Methodist Church, and this really kind of sparks up in 2019. There was their national gathering um, one of them that they came together and there was language that was ratified as part of their, I believe their bylaws that reaffirmed uh, traditional marriage and reaffirmed a traditional outlook of a theology of sexuality. And in the United Methodist Church at that time, there's a code of uh, being a part of the church, there's, uh, there's, I think they call it the book of discipline um, about how churches are supposed to interact, being a part of the church body. And when this was reaffirmed, there are groups of churches that um, are LGBTQ affirming. So that means in theological parlance, there is not just um, uh, an acceptance of people, but a full affirmation of lifestyle. And mm -hmm. so there were churches within the United Methodist Church 
that were basically ignoring the central tenets of both governance and theology. And that created this spark point in St. Louis in 2019, where their national gathering was happening, one of these gatherings. And since that started, there has been this talk of churches leaving, either more liberal churches that are affirming leaving to um, continue that process, or the more conservative churches leaving to form their own denomination. Now, one of the interesting things about the United Methodist Church is it has expanded, expanded to be a global church. And one of the reasons these more traditional views passed with a slight majority, I think it was about 53% is what I read. So somewhere in that low 50s range is because of churches from around the world that come from more conservative viewpoints. Yep. And so what's now happened in the past several months really seems like this summer and is hitting a point now is churches are leaving. Now of the UMC, the best I could read, there's about 30,000 churches connected. And of those 30,000, um, it sounds like 1,300 have voted to leave. So it's not, it's not an in mass, you know, uh, running away, but it's large enough that in um, different places you're seeing hundreds of churches leave. And it's interesting because this is not the first what we call mainline denomination that has gone through this. Uh, we've seen it happen with the Presbyterian Church, with um, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, another Lutheran Church body here in our country. And as this has happened, it has all happened around this issue of a theology of sexuality and identity. And it's interesting to see that even as this has happened, kind of running concurrently with it is the fact that mainline denominations are shrinking, that they, they have these breaking points and they're shrinking not just because congregations are leaving, but that they're seeing as these are happening, they've shrunk by anywhere from a quarter to a third. And uh, I actually have um, a graphic up here. Part of what we're seeing is that the younger generations are disaffiliating from religion. From, mm -hmm. 20, from 2008 to 2021 millennials, so that's us, 1977 to 1995, Katie, I assume, you're in that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I made the cut. I'm in. I'm, I'm in. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that jumps from in 2008, 33% being non religious to now in 2021, uh, 45%. With Gen Z, that jumps from 39% in 2016, really when they're old enough to be interviewed so they don't go back to 2008. But um, so 2016 to 2021, uh, that goes from 39 to 48%. And so there's this fascinating thing happening that we're seeing two things, really. The, the first being um, these mainline denominations that often lean progressive liberal. They're running into this point where conservative churches are leaving over um, a theology of sexuality and identity. But we're also seeing that the mainline denominations, as they have become more liberal 
are not gaining more people back, even as those what would be maybe the more conservative that they would see as the problem have left. But they're actually seeing a decline and a speedy decline in ways we, we haven't seen before. And I think it's it's got a lot to deal with it and a lot that we can look and see today. And the United Methodist Church is just the latest mainline denomination that's that's had this happen. It's the second largest denomination, right, Ted? I think, I think so. I think it's, it's behind the SPC. Uh, it, it's, I, I saw right. somewhere as I was reading today, it was 13 million people. So okay. it's, I mean, it's, it's big. And the majority of people who are leaving, um, the people who are leaving United Methodist, that's the more conservative group that's leaving too? So congregations that are leaving would hold to a more traditional okay. outlook on marriage, on sexuality, on identity. Yeah. Now, the, the other thing that plays into this that's interesting is a lot of these churches, the mainline churches, have what we would call a more Episcopal outlook, which doesn't necessarily deal with like the Episcopalian church, but it's Episcopal as bishop. So they have a more hierarchical system of governance. And so there's also a, a bit of that in it that the churches local churches don't have as much say as a uh, an sbc church might as uh, my lutheran church body might where we we have a more congregational outlook where the local congregation holds a lot more say than the national body and so there's there's also a tinge of that as well that there is a stepping away from a more hierarchy of power where the bishop can say you're going to do this and you're going to do it now versus mm -hmm. a local congregation making that decision and and what we're seeing in the umc is it's a lot of local congregations making that decision but it follows again another kind of interesting thread to pull on here is it follows along um it follows along with not in all places, but it's a lot of Southern churches that are stepping out. You know, the big places I've seen, I've seen um, articles on Alabama, on Florida, on Texas, and there are these churches. And, and sometimes it's um, a lot of the suburban and rural churches versus the urban churches yeah. that are leaving. And so there's, there's a lot of it happening along lines that it feels like the theology of sexuality is kind of the rock they run into, but it's not the only thing happening. And I so think it these, would be... So like in their meetings, because they, I know they had like a, I don't know, like a, they had a, a synod-wide meeting, right? Where all the church leaders kind of came together and they voted and they talked about these things. What else is, what else is coming up? Is it just... Is it just like the, the theology of sexuality? Or like, what are some of the other things that um congregation members are bringing up and saying hey i don't what do we believe about this because i think that's kind of the like the where the where it kind of hits is like i don't know if i want to you know a congregation members like i don't know if i want to sit in this pew if we disagree on these things that are very central to who i am right. as an individual what are the other things right. other than sexuality I so believe Go ahead, okay. I was going to say, I believe, isn't it the authority of scripture as well on um, on top of the interpretation of of certain of scripture, the authority of it and then how certain scriptures are being interpreted. Is that correct, Ted? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
And yeah. and I think Tanner to to the question you're asking, Katie, what you're saying, a lot of it comes down to how do we read the Bible? Um, is is scripture and and the two camps I would say the the far ends are what we would label as progressive or fundamentalist. Now those are the ends, right? That's and there's a lot of in between, but the two ends would be a progressive outlook would say, hey, the scriptures are what we make of them. They're a mythos. They're illustrative. Um, they teach us to learn, but what we don't like, we throw out. And um, yeah. what we do, we, we interpret for ourselves. Uh, and then the more, not the more, the, the fundamentalist edge would say, um, not only is scripture God breathed, but we take the ultimate literal understanding of it. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's something in the middle. And, and so you see, Tanner, what you're asking, the other things where this kind of moves out along lines is if that theology of sexuality is kind of the hitting point, it actually does move into social justice. It moves into... Uh, what is, I mean, it, it becomes the center mm-hmm. of what, what is the faith? What is the point of Christianity? And it starts there, but it quickly branches out. And a lot of it seems to kind of come up. I mean, we, we saw this again and again throughout 2020 with social justice and all these things. Like as soon as something happened on the news or there was a big story that was trending, then there was a, a a response, whether it was a couple of days after or a month after or several years after. It's like, well, what is the church's stance on social justice? What is the church's stance on abortion? What is the church's stance on marriage and sexuality and all of these things? And I think all the things that are kind of not necessarily like brought up first in the news, but it kind of seems to be the trend is like if it's brought up in the news, then pretty soon that's going to help people decide or be a, uh, like a way for people to decide, am I going to stay? go to this church, be a part of this community, or is it time for me to move on, either start something myself or to find a new home? Is that, is that mm-hmm. kind of stick? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think where it's really interesting for me though, there was, you guys shared a Politico article with um, us with the group chat this week, and we were just trying to do some research and, and like learning more about this. And there was a recent article posted by Politico comparing, you know, what is happening right now at the Methodist church um, with um, the LGBT community in terms of uh, their stance on this position and how the church was struggling with similar things when slavery was still a thing. And so I think that's where it becomes really difficult for me because, first of all, slavery, there's an injustice. And it's well known that Christian churches were not abolishing slavery right off the bat. You know, they're kind of like, well, I'm not really sure about that. And primarily, some of those places were the states where you're talking about, Ted, were in the South, in Alabama, you know, North Carolina, all these different places where um, we have seen themes of racism be more prevalent, right? And the church was not quick to saying, no, slavery is wrong. Now they're comparing this particular split that's happening in the church to what happened then. So now it's almost being used as like a cultural weapon like, hey, you know, look, there's still some of these uh, these churches out there that have these conservative values that don't recognize the marriage of of um, two men or two women coming together. And I think that's really hard. I personally find this is a really hard topic for me to talk about. I have family and I have friends that are gay. 
um, and and I love them so much. And and I don't know if this is specifically about necessarily their rights, you know, because I do believe they live in a country where they have rights to uh, to be married. But in terms of using this against what Christians would view as the scripture and weaponizing it against what the church did wrong about slavery, that's where it's starting to become a little bit um, um, trickier and uncomfortable for me. Well, and uncomfortable in a good way, but it's just like, it's also frustrating because it's used as a weapon. Yeah. Right. And I, I want to add to that as well, because I, I think that that's it. it I think the, the purpose of that sometimes is to implement fear to almost get maybe the more conservative side or maybe this Christian view, this historical Christian view about sexual morality or, or homosexuality to kind of push back and to instill this sort of fear or um, kind of like a like a label over Christians that might hold to some things in scripture. Um, that are clearly said where slavery is talked about and mentioned, but there is a very different idea of slavery going on in scripture that we experience historically in our country. So we have this comparison, which breaks down, but then you have this issue, which is very clearly talked about in scripture. So if you're a Christian, you have clear convictions around this because of if you view the Bible as your authority. And I do, I just want to share this. I mean, I might be, you know, might be too far, who knows, but Colossians three, and this is where, this is where I would say, Hey, like if you hold to the authority of scripture, then this would be very, this would, this wouldn't just be like a injustice. This would be like, Hey, this, this is something that I would have to stand on this conviction and still find a way in that tension to love people, minister to people, come alongside people while holding to this. But um, I'm just going to share it just because why not? Um, but it says, uh, uh, Colossians 3, verse uh, 5, don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger and rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. Oh, right before that, that was really where it was. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Um, because on behalf of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So this for us as a believer, this should be, um, this is where that tension is there and you see the division because <laughs> it's either your authority or it's not. And, you know, so I, I think the, the tension that the Methodist church is really going through is that maybe for so long, there's been a gray area and then now they're starting to take a stance, maybe more clearly on an issue. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not very familiar with the Methodist Church, but just from what I was looking at and reading, it seems like as they have more of a clear definition, that's why we're seeing more of a divide. Because now you either need to be you need need to be either hot or cold on this issue. Um, do you am, am I on line so, there? So and and I think we can we can zoom it out actually just from the United Methodist issue. I think we can right. say because I won't even say I've read a lot, but I'm. I'm not a United Methodist. I don't know Same. the ins and outs. And even as I've read about their meetings, I still don't quite get how their governance model works and how that's happening. But I think we can zoom it out and say in the last 10 to 15 years, the mainline church bodies, which I've said that a couple times, let me define that. Um, 
uh, is it's these seven kind of Protestant denominations that were kind of the core of of culture. And so what we've seen though is these mainline denominations have all run into this issue in similar ways. So while it's happening in a very specific way right now with the United Methodist Church, you're not wrong, Katie. But it's you don't even have to say, I don't know about the United Methodist Church. We can just mm-hmm. say culturally, we can right. zoom out and say, hey, it's right. happening. Right. And uh, Wyatt, our boy Wyatt, who helps us a lot with our tech stuff, shout out Wyatt. Article, um, <laughs> that this is there. There's a lot at play here because it's not just this, but there's a lot of power plays happening too. That if you leave the church, there's financial responsibilities. Um, a lot of church bodies have pension plans for their clergy. So yeah. if you leave, you're stepping out of the pension plan. So now a single church would have to take on the pension of their pastor. I know I talked to a friend who was a pastor in one of these mainline denominations that has since had a splinter denomination form where they he joined a more um, theologically traditional denomination. And he said, when our church voted and they set up, this is how it works if you want to leave, and it had to be a super majority, even though they left, their church body, when they wrote constitutions for churches, so, you know, a church is, an, is both the church we think of, the big C church, you know, believers in Christ, but also their little C church and earthly organization. So when you write a constitution and bylaws, one of the things this denomination required was kind of some clauses in there that if you decided to leave, you left your property and your buildings to the church body. So they vote to leave, but that just means the people of the church who want to leave have to go somewhere else. The church denomination takes this stuff, even though it was paid for by the church, even though it was or the local body of believers, you know, it was paid for by them. It was built by them. They had even been giving over and above to the larger church body. So there's a lot of power plays that happen in those kinds of ways too, of, of mm. the very physical things. The question I think, and when you're getting is, down to the nitty and gritty of it, that means also a pastor who is trying to support his family may right. lose everything. And sometimes pastors, and I get this, like you don't want to put your family in jeopardy. And that's, that's hard. The way my friend put it was he said, he was tired of when he was around other people, not being able to proudly say what church body he was a part of. And for him, that was less about the church body and more about, he said, this was my personal confession. And he said, yeah, the church body was doing things I disagreed with, but here I was remaining. And I had to ask myself, you know, what's, what does that mean? And I think, we have taken because i don't i don't think it's just about a mainline progressive issue i think this is also on a fundamentalist christianity that puts legalism above the gospel now it's on everyone i just think it's interconnected right i'm not going to give anyone a buy here 
But I think our temptation as humans is to earn whatever we get. And so in a fundamentalist sense, that means I have to obey the rules, right? That means I got to do it like this. I got to do it like this. I got to do it like this. I got to make God happy. Mm-hmm. In a progressive sense, the new morality is inclusivity, is um, uh, love for all, and is plurality. You know, there are multiple ways to heaven. Yep. But that is also a law system that says you have to be like us. And you look at that and we can see that in our culture that if you don't obey those things, then you're, you know, you're shunned, you're out, you're unloving. And I think the problem is the central, the centrality of the gospel says you can't earn it. That as progressive as you are, as fundamentalist as you are, you can run those two things to their extremes and you can never earn salvation. And what I'm concerned about is as these fights happen, we are throwing rocks at each other instead of trying to, and this is so simple for me to say, and I know this is years of heartache, years of hurt, and I don't want it to sound trite because I don't have all the answers. But we've lost sight of that central article, which is no one is righteous. And to say, how do we how do we use that phrase, no one is righteous, when we approach a theology of sexuality and identity? How do we use the phrase, no one is righteous, when we approach the centrality of Scripture being inerrant and God-breathed? How do we... How do we use that to say, I'm a sinner? Because I think the church, the reformers used Latin, semper reformata, always reforming. And the idea of that is not that the church changes the gospel. It's that we are humans. And as humans, we're going to get things wrong. And we're, our temptation will be to run from the gospel. Yeah. Go, Phil. So beautifully said, Ted. But what about what about our role in combating, you know, the the fundamentalist side, and then also the highly progressive liberal side? So, for instance, it was really cool. I got an opportunity to speak at a conference um, a couple months ago, and it was a very interesting environment for me to be in because I was probably the only conservative type in the room out of all the keynote speakers. And um, and then they put us in a roundtable discussion because we were talking about Christian young adults. And because I work for PLI and a thousand young leaders, I was like the token young adult guy. And there was other progressive liberal people on the panel. And there, you know, the question was, how do we reach young people? How do we connect with younger generations? And at one point we go around the table and I'm the last to go. And everyone's talking about we need to be more inclusive with people's sexual identity. We need to uh, be more accepting in this area. Like this is the way that we're going to be able to love other people. And it was almost everything was about sexual identity. And then it got to me, it's like, what about Jesus? Like, this is a problem. Like, why aren't we giving people Jesus? And I mean, at one point I have to be like, we have to like say, no, that's wrong. In the same sense from the fundamentalist side, I feel like churches 
who have isolated and exiled the gay community have also done an injustice because they haven't created community for people who identify being gay. And what I mean by that is we've all been created for relationship. And even though that may look different where uh, we believe that God brings man and woman together, relationship is still important. And people who identify being gay, we, we do not create communities or oikos of communities for people to be, um, to, to have that rather than living in isolation. So at one point we have to say, no, this is wrong. Even though what you said was beautiful, I, I think at some point we, we actually have to say, no, what you're doing is harmful. Right. And I, and I want to add to that too, because I think um, when we look at these two different spectrums, they, they both are, they're there because they both are trying to attain something without the gospel period, you know? And when Good Jesus, call. when Jesus comes in and we have a full understanding of the full, the full truth, the full grace, and only God's spirit can do that where we can understand like who Jesus is, understand the gospel, read the word and actually want to be transformed to it. Like what? That's radical. That's, that's, like a, that's a spiritual encounter for that to happen. You, that is something that has to happen through the centrality of the gospel and the person of Jesus. And here's the thing that I have found like with our generation. And it sounded like Ted, you were saying, if I'm correct, like a lot of the progressive liberal movement of the church is kind of a pushback on the fundamentalist and kind of the harm that that has caused. It's all and just a circle. It's a, it's a circle, but they're both trying to <clears throat> something still without the gospel. But I want to say that one of the things that I feel and sense our generation kind of, if I could take like a, temp, a thermometer out and be like, okay, what's the temperature of our culture um, is that there's this misunderstanding of holiness. And I, this is a general statement, not so much about just Methodist, but like we were saying, capital C church there is a misunderstanding about holiness. And as we experience grace, grace throughout scripture is always taking us somewhere. It's not just excusing a sin or covering a wrong. It is actually moving us and taking us somewhere where our feet are not meant to walk. And that's holiness. That's to do something we were never able to do. So there is a way by grace now we can actually do what we couldn't do before. And um, and I just want to like just add this little snippet to it. Um, when I think about like the Levitical law going to, you know, more on that, maybe that more legalistic idea, the when that law was read in Nehemiah to the Levites, they weeped hearing the law. And then it was the answer was just go for the joy of the Lord will be your strength. They wept because they couldn't do what we now can do with God's spirit. And that's actually walk in obedience to the law. And, you know, when that is not taught and there's not this delight for holiness and this, um, this also this truth, knowing that whatever we are, we are winning people with, we're winning them too. So if we're winning them with this, progressive, inclusive movement. Hey, everybody's welcome. You don't have to change. Stay how you are. If you're winning them to, with that, that's what you're winning them to. So then they don't. you don't show them the fine print. You actually reveal who Jesus is and then they don't really want it. So you're not real. It's not really successful, you know? So I think what needs to happen is 
let's just lay everything out, the fine print, the truth, the what the gospel is and live by it. But, you know, it's that's just harder to do, easier said than done when you're dealing with a lot of people and institutions. But just to kind of add on, on to that, Ted. Well, and, and I think I think you're right, Katie. I think there's and there's something my mom taught it to me, but I, I think it's come from it, it came from somewhere. And so I know Phil probably knows it and from our, our time working in churches, but there's an idea that it talks about a lot of times Christians fall into this this process where they go, um, listen, act like us, behave like us, and then believe like us, and then you can be a part of our community. But everywhere we see Jesus go, he helps people belong first, and then he says, believe in me, and then watch what happens. And then, you know, your life will change. And I think what we have done as Christians is a, and and this is not now, this is humanity. This is us struggling to follow Jesus. Our temptation is to go to the edges. And what we have to remember is we don't change anyone. Jesus changes people. Mm -hmm. Right. And our job is to say, how do we live to who we are while making people be a part of, not making people, how do we invite people to community and to know Jesus more so that then he transforms them into belief and a different, a life following him. I, I agree. And... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, go ahead. Uh, I, I agree. But I also, I also see like when Jesus, you know, meets the rich man, he also says there, there is this exclusiveness too, where there's, there was to follow me. You have to deny yourself. sell everything you have. And right. But the, the invitation know? to be a part of it, is inclusive right and if you if you read if you read what he's doing there that's the 13th disciple everyone else that the way he talks is how he invites the 12 as he says come follow me i'll make you fishers of men come follow me leave behind your taxes come follow me and to this guy he says come follow me leave behind and sell what you've got there is an exclusivity but i think we've got to make sure that as we talk I actually would disagree with some of what you said, Katie, in terms of mm -hmm. the holiness and obedience is not what I do. It's what Jesus did, which is to say, I can't do it. There's nothing I can do to attain any level of holiness that, you know, Paul writes and says, even my greatest works are as dirty rags. But what happens is when Jesus steps in and covers those things, well, now I can go and do the good works that I've been created for. But right. those good works don't affect my salvation. No. And when we start no. making those good works, and I knew we were probably in similar wavelengths here. Okay, okay. All of that to say, there is an exclusivity. There is a Christian yes. sexual ethic that we believe in, mm -hmm. not because we think it's easy or we think it's you know going to make you holy. We believe in it because we say, this is how we were created. That as mm -hmm. we look and we say, this is how God created. Mm -hmm. And and standing for that to say, we believe, and I think part of it is we gotta, we gotta level the playing field. If you are an adulterer, if you are cheating on your spouse, if you are having sex outside of marriage, if you are all those things, the sexual ethic is not about targeting people. It's about saying, we believe we're created this way. 
yeah. and to function in this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I agree with you and I don't want to be misunderstood either. Cause I don't believe that that holiness or obedience affects our salvation whatsoever. I think it's a part of our mm -hmm. sanctification. And I do believe that it's possible to actually obey the words that Jesus said. I do believe that he's given us the ability to do that. I don't think it's, it's the, it, it affects our salvation. And I don't believe if you don't do that, that it will, you'll lose your salvation by any means. But I do believe that we move towards sanctification to make that more and more a part of our life to obey the commands of Jesus. And I think we agree on that. And, but I did want to add, like, you know, I also didn't want to leave out I that there's, there's a part of, part of the call that is exclusive as well. But, um, but yes, I know really quick, I saw, I don't know if we can get to it, but I saw that there was a question in the chat. Do we want to go ahead and go for yeah, it? Let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. So the question was, how do you feel about Christians who continue to identify as gay, but are deliberately celibate because of it? I how do you feel those... about that? Yeah. How do you feel I... about that? I think those people need community. They need people who love them because they've made a decision to, to follow. And so that can be a lonely road. We take for granted relationship. I think I know as a married person, I, I can, I take for granted that. And I think it is a place where we say, if someone has made that decision, that means their church needs to say, Hey, we, we are here. Our doors are wide open, not our church doors, our houses you know, be family with us. We, I think uh, it's a really, uh, oh, go ahead. Go Tanner. ahead, Tanner. You haven't talked I'll yet. Go. Go. <laughs> I talked at the beginning. Um, I, I think that's a really good question, but I also think about maybe the, the, the person asking or the person asking for somebody else of just how difficult it is and to um, go through life hearing everything, reading something different hearing what the world is promoting and suggesting and encouraging while holding on to something um, that they believe. And so I think that is just a difficult road to navigate. And I think we all have those kind of things in our lives, whether it's, it's, you know, sexual identity or views on this or ideas on that, where like, that's what I've been towards or moved towards rather than this is what I know is to be the truth. And so kind of like, you know, Ted said, like, just to have people around you and to say, hey, it doesn't all make sense to me either. And I don't have all the answers, but we do have queso tonight and you're welcome to come over. You know, it's, I don't know. Bill, well, and, and, and obviously, yeah, the queso is an excellent in for me. I, I'm in any time, <laughs> but uh, to take it to the next level is, are you willing to be family, uh, to live as a family with these people, not just, hey, you know, this is our household. No, like you're, you're willing to make sure that they have a seat at your table, um, that they even have a room at your place that they need community. Um, and, and sure that may feel uncomfortable, but where they feel like they have a home, um, that is, um, that is centered on Jesus. Um, we are doing college ministry in South Florida and we realized at one point, like, we, we had like an LGBTQ night and we had so many people that identified being gay, being there. And it came to their self-realization, even some of the people that I knew that identify being gay and they're Christian and they're even committed to celibacy. It's like, I need to be able to make sure that they have community, that they could be part of my family. Right. Mm -hmm. And that they're 
they're not alone. Um, and it's not like, well, hope it gets better. Cause that, <laughs> that's, that's not the case. Like you, you need to be fighting with them, walking alongside them and being family to them. And I think that's where the church has failed the gay community. And it's mm-hmm. just really frustrating. Yeah. And I, I think this is really, it's, it's bearing each other's burdens because this is, that's a form of suffering. First of all, denying yourself at any extent is a form of suffering, but this, and then almost giving up on a desire or a dream or a life that could be, or, um, a family, you know, that's a form of suffering and it's kind of coming alongside people to bear each other's burdens and, um, be willing to, to sit with them in it. And there, there's no rule book for that. (laughs) You know, there's no manual for that, for someone that commits their life to that. And a lot of them do, I'm sure do feel alone because there's not, uh, there's not a lot of openness with it, but, um, but yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's bearing each other's burdens for sure. I think we could be talking, we could talk about this for another two or three hours. And a lot of it would probably go in circles because I know a lot of us are trying to be, you know, careful with our words to try to honor people and and what they're going through and, you know, all the things that come along with being a human, which is questioning, struggles, grief, and all that. But um, I guess to kind of close it all out, like, you know, the one of the questions we like to ask around here is, where is the hope in all of this? And we talked about a lot of things in the last 40 minutes. So maybe my question is, where is the hope in the conversation uh, where churches are splitting and we're dis- when hard, where hard decisions are being made? Where's the hope in all of that? Jesus is still Lord of the church. I mean, Boom, that'll preach. Thanks for joining us on this. I'm just <laughs> I think... I think both progressive fundamentals, wherever you live in the middle, every church from local churches to denominations have issues. Um, It's us learning as people who follow Jesus to listen to him and say, you know, um, even if not, you know, uh, what is it from Daniel, the uh, fiery furnace that, you know, our God is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. And that, I think, is is where we land, to say our God is able, but even if he decides not to, we keep following him. Mm-hmm. That's good. Katie, Phil, any last thoughts? You know, that was well said, Ted. <laughs> Just, you know, nothing really to add to that. I agree. I think that, you know, same thing. I think our church, I think the church is, uh, God is always working. His church is is a rock and he's the rock of the church. It's not going anywhere. And maybe just kind of humanness and and all the messiness around it might always seem like there's brokenness. And But God's people are still alive, still working. God is moving. And so, yeah, I agree with what Ted said for sure. To my liberal and progressive um, Christian friends out there, um, my, my, my thought is let's start talking about um, identity stuff, right? But identity in Christ before um, identity in your sexuality. If we can start having more conversations around that, I think um, uh, the conversations are going to get better. Um, and richer. Uh, to my um, conservative friends out there, um, my challenge for you is, are you viewing your neighbor, your friend, your gay friend, your family member um, as the image of God? 
in the Imago day. Um, and um, are you hanging with those people, doing life with those people um, and getting to know their story more? And if not, um, it's easy to sit off the sidelines and just start putting stuff on social media um, without even knowing the reality of what that person has been experiencing their whole life, the isolation they've had from family members, other people, um, I could not imagine. And so we need to start living life with um, our brothers and sisters who are made in the image of God. And the challenge for us is to look at our lives and say, where have we messed this up? Yep. Both friendship-wise, sexual ethic-wise, the whole thing. How do we call others out, but we need to be at the front of the line to say, where do I grow? Where do yep. I repent? We need to repent too. Absolutely. All right. Well, that, that was a different episode. I enjoyed it though. I think it's a good conversation. And I think it's a conversation that a lot of people are going to be, are not going to be having, that they're already having. And it's going to be an ongoing conversation. And I know that we are going to revisit this again and again. And we love the question that was sent in. And if anybody else is watching and, and has a question, go ahead and send that to us. You can email us at everydayelephantspod at gmail.com. The question can, we'll keep it anonymous, but we would love to talk about the things that you're wondering about, the things that you're thinking about. And we're going to take two weeks off. We're not going to be back this Monday. We'll be back the following Monday, but we will be back on January 9th. We, uh, it's not because we don't love being together, but it's because it's we Christmas need some time. time apart. Yeah. Oh, that, oh, yeah. It's Christmas time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Christmas time. <laughs> yeah. We ha- big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that'll do it for this episode of Everyday Elephants. Make sure to subscribe to the show and leave a rating and review. You can follow us on Facebook and on YouTube. That's right. Two places. Uh, and if you're interested in being a sponsor or you have a topic or question for the podcast, again, you can email us at everydayelephantspod at gmail.com. We love getting mail. We will be back on Monday, January 9th after Christmas, after the new year, after my birthday. Mm, When's your birthday, Philip? January 6th. We'll celebrate. All right. I'm all about myself. (laughs) We'll, we'll celebrate in our own ways. Uh, Well, that'll do it for this episode from everybody here at everybody elephants. Merry Christmas and happy new year. Peace. See you guys.